This is reading uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendour. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. There we go. Lovely. The proper one. That's, I feel exalted. Um, it's great to see you. Thanks for, for being here. And um, thanks, Miriam, for a wonderful testimony. Really, really moving. And, and Emma, thank you for the reading. Um, so, um, the Lord's Prayer, um, the one we're most familiar with. And, um, you know, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen is the bit that I've been asked to preach upon. And uh, the bit at the end, the bit that's perhaps the afterthought, it... The, the Lord's Prayer appears in Matthew and it appears in Luke. But our verse today doesn't appear in Luke. Um, and it appears in Matthew 6 in the second part of verse 13 in my NIV, only in brackets. And it's in brackets because these words aren't in the earliest manuscripts. Now they, they do appear in the Didache, I think that's the right way of pronouncing it, um, which was authored by second generation Christians in the late first century, early second. And of course, they're normally added as a doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer, whenever it's prayed publicly, and including, of course, in this place, in the commons at the beginning of every day's business. Now, I, I confess I once got into a dispute, relatively friendly, um, with a local vicar a few years ago, uh, when he asked me to read from the Apocrypha at the Remembrance Sunday service. And I refused. <laughs> um, it caused a bit of a local ripple, and the said vicar has since moved on, though that had nothing to do with me. Um, but I haven't got that kind of power. But, um, so you'd be pleased to hear that I'm not going to cause a scene today, um, and instead to hold out this text as being incredibly important. If we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, we can run the risk of being really blasé in repeating it, of not really thinking about what we're saying. And... This series on each part of the prayer matters so much because it helps us to get inside what each line means, what Jesus meant by them, and how we're to pray these lines ourselves so that we properly mean them. One reason I think why Bible scholars are relaxed, even encouraging this verse remaining in the text, is that it bears such uncanny resemblance to David's prayer that Emma has just read out to us from 1 Chronicles 29. I think in particular, well, let's just read through it once more um, and just see if you can see the familiar bits. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, verse 11 especially rings a bell. 
and yours lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and then yours lord is the kingdom so he is great he is powerful and he is glorious more than that though greatness power and glory belong to him and the kingdom belongs to him the kingdom belongs to him in the lord's prayer then we acknowledge that god is our father that he resides in heaven that his very name is holy and we call on him to extend his kingdom with all of its goodness righteousness and justice into this world and for his perfect will to be applied in full to get rid of all the evil and sadness that is here now and then we ask for our basic physical needs to be met before asking for our greatest need to be met that is that our sins would be forgiven and we go on to ask that god would help us not to be hypocrites that when we are forgiven we don't then withhold forgiveness from others and then finally seeking his help that we would not be tempted or drawn into evil and therefore turn our backs upon him so this doxology at the end turns our eyes back upwards to him towards the one to whom we have just prayed it acknowledges who he is what kind of being he is and what kind of thing prayer is yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever well, first the kingdom i wonder if you're afraid at the moment i wonder if you're angry i kind of hope that you are i hope that you are i hope the scenes that we're seeing every day from ukraine are not becoming normalized i hope they leave you praying angry prayers prayers of lament prayers calling on God for justice, the supernatural intervention and deliverance. The best bit of my job, I would say, is visiting primary schools. And um, we always do a Q&A, and it's fantastic because the kids just don't know what they're not meant to ask you. <laughs> and, and the best questions I've had, I'll just pick two over the years, were, Tim, have you ever met the Queen? To which I say, yes, I have. And this lad goes, what does she smell of? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then, in my favourite, Tim, when will we know whether there are fairies? <laughs> Just think, not are there fairies, but when will the select committees, the existence or otherwise of fairy kind, reveal its final report so we can mull it over? When will we know whether there are fairies? Um, so last week I went into Ambleside Primary School, which, you know, is a, a wonderful school in a very, very beautiful place. It feels like the safest place in the universe. And the first question was about how old my dogs are and whether they support the same football team as me. Um, as if I'd feed them if they didn't. But, uh, but after that, the questions got serious. Every other question was about Ukraine. The kids were more than just interested. They were scared, really scared. And it broke my heart. And I explained the situation to the best of my ability. And I took a risk and I told them I didn't know for sure what would happen but that God is in charge and Putin would face justice. Fear is something that the first readers of the New Testament knew all about. When we say yours is the kingdom, we declare it defiantly in the face of people, events and movements that scare us. The book of the Revelation is full of references to Babylon, to the future fall of Babylon. Yet Babylon had already been in ruins for about 600 years or so at the point Revelation was written. So why mention it and why in the future tense? Well, maybe it was mentioned because it was in ruins. Because it was in ruins. Those first readers of the Revelation were Christians, 
persecuted by the very real, terrifying and thriving empire of Rome. Those references to Babylon reminded those first readers that Rome would go the same way. Rome would end up, not triumphant, but in rubble, just like Babylon. And so it did. And so it will be with every other kingdom, ideology, government or empire, all will end in rubble. We fear, of course we do, but ultimately we do not need to fear. The most frightening of all regimes today will end up ground into dust. Its end will come. So it will be for all kingdoms, except one, except one. Yours is the kingdom, we say, the kingdom, the one that will never end. The one to which we belong if we trust in Jesus. The kingdom that really is the safest place in the universe. So then we declare his power. And rightly, because we haven't just prayed into a void, <clears throat> nor have we just fired off a missive to someone who'd like to help us but can't. God has the power to answer our prayers. We often lose heart because we hold God to promises that he never made, that he never made. He didn't promise you good health, a nice house, a wonderful marriage, comfort or happiness. In fact, in John 16, 33, he promises this, in this world, you will have trouble. We are promised trouble. Just look outside, watch the news, maybe even look at your own lives. This is a promise the Lord has absolutely kept. And yet, he follows it up with this jaw-dropper. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. What? I, I mean, how can you chalk Jesus up as some nice hippie, some self-effacing meek and mild philosopher when he says stuff like this, I have overcome the world. We are dealing with the one who has ultimate power. And what is more, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, you have just prayed the words that Jesus gave us to pray. He has given us words that by definition, it is the Father's will to say yes to. And the glory. The glory is God's too. Glory may be, and God's glory may be very hard to define, but like beauty, you know it when you see it. And John Piper describes the glory of God as the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. The word translated as glory in our Bibles comes from the Hebrew word kabod, and it means weight or heaviness. C.S. Lewis, of course, picks up on this in the title of his book, The Weight of Glory. In glory, there is something of the utter awesome fullness of God, his mind-blowingness. As we say, yours is the glory at the end of this prayer, we seek to clarify in our own minds just who it is that we've been praying to. Now, Tim Keller gives an account as being a young man on a Christian camp. And the woman leading this particular study session he was at during this camp said to Tim and his friends the following. She said, let's consider the minuscule thickness of this piece of paper. How about this one? This piece of paper, the minuscule thickness of a sheet of paper representing the distance from the Earth to the Sun, 93 million miles, represented by the width of this piece of paper. In which case, the gap from the Earth to Proxima Centauri, the next nearest star, is represented by a stack of paper 75 feet high. 75 feet high. And then the distance from the Earth to the edge of just our own Milky Way galaxy is a stack of paper 350 miles high. 350 miles high. There are up to 400 billion stars in this one galaxy alone. And in the observable universe, there are around two trillion, two trillion galaxies. 
And God just breathed all of that into existence. He holds it in the palm of his hand. So this woman looked at Tim Keller and his friends and said, you do not invite a being like that into your life to be your assistant. <laughs> and when we contemplate the glory of God, we are reminded of how small we are, of how small we are, of how humble we must be. All those vain things that charm you, they pale in comparison. Our politics, our firmly held, polit our, our firmly held positions, our precious identities, they're just so incredibly puny compared to the God who breathes two trillion galaxies into existence and who sustains them every moment. And yet the one who tells us to pray these words is the same of whom John says this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This awesome, holy God who reveals his glory to us, his full weight, here he is speaking straight to us. He speaks the universe into existence and he also speaks directly to you. The things you hold dear that you think are life and death important, they're not. They are so puny. But I'll tell you what, this same God looks you in the eye and he says to you, you are life and death important to me. Literally life and death important. He gave his life for you that your death will be annulled, has been annulled at the cross. Your death received a death sentence and you were declared alive, alive always. This glorious God who teaches us how to pray, he knows you inside out. Every hair on your head is numbered. You are knitted together by him in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, made by him, loved by him. And all of this is forever, forever and ever, without end. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Before we utter the Amen, this doxology tells God something of what we know about him, that his kingdom is the kingdom, the only perfect kingdom, the only one that will last. And because we began this prayer with our Father, we declare the truth that this kingdom is our rightful home because he has made it so. We declare that he is powerful to do all that we ask, all that and infinitely more. That he is glorious. Glory is his. He is utterly awesome. And that amongst his characteristics is that he is eternal. That he has always existed, that he always will. That when we put our trust in him, we will never be disappointed. That despite all around us, that frightens us. And he knows that it frightens us. And he longs to tenderly care for us, to calm and to strengthen us, that despite our fears, if we trust in him, then we are home and dry. We are safe and sound. Yours be the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen to that.